my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. Aren't you so glad that you can say those words, not just a rock or a redeemer, but my rock and my redeemer. That brings such comfort to my soul. Those days that are difficult, those days that are hard, we have a rock and we have a redeemer. Well, good morning again. It is so good to be with you. I'm Steve Grissom, the associate pastor here at South Shore Baptist Church, filling in while Cody and his family are away, uh, celebrating Emma's graduation, and so, so thankful for their family. Pray for them as they travel back. Um, but it's my joy to preach from Psalm 118 this morning. Psalm 118 is a wonderful psalm. It has fed my soul this week. It's been such a great comfort and encouragement. It reminds me so much of Psalm 136, which we read from earlier uh, in the service. So go ahead and turn with me. Uh, turn there uh, to page 537. We're going to read together. But before we get there, I wanted to mention um, Thanksgiving. Not long ago, we celebrated Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a wonderful holiday. It's one that I cherish, um, not just because of the beautiful buffet and all the assorted pies, which I make sure I get double helpings of, but this year was a bit different. I knew it was going to be a bit different because I wouldn't be here in the United States or even in Hingham for Thanksgiving, but I was in Egypt on a mission trip, which you'll hear more about in uh, about an hour from now. But with each Thanksgiving, I, like most of you, probably think about what you're thankful for. During that day, during the month of November, we think about what we're thankful for, and it could be many things, whether it's food or friends or family or health or the various freedoms that we enjoy. We think about things that we are thankful for. And as we think about what we have, and we all know that we have a lot, we must remember who they come from. So this is what we learn through Psalm 118. This is where we begin as the psalmist. He calls us, not just here in Psalm 118, but in several psalms, to give thanks to the Lord. And there's so many reasons to give thanks to the Lord. We could go from pew to pew, section to section, and, and end up with 300 reasons as to why we could thank the Lord. So many, so many reasons, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But let's look at the context of this psalm. Now, it's helpful for me to think about the author, and we're not entirely certain, but many think David is the author of this psalm. There's so many similarities to this psalm, to the other psalms he's known to have written, and so David, if he is the author, he invites followers of God to rejoice in God's goodness. God is good all the time. You've heard that said many times, and all the time, God is good. So he's encouraging us to rejoice in God's goodness and depend upon him, not only for today. God has been faithful in the past. When has he not? He's always been faithful in the past, and he is good today. So he's encouraging us to think of God's goodness as the future unfolds. So we know a little bit about the author. What do we know about the psalm as a whole? Psalm 118 is a Hallel psalm, a Hallel, what you say? Hallel, like the beginning of Hallelujah. And so Hallel in Hebrew means praise. So we are encouraged to praise God. Psalm 113 through 118 are psalms of praise, and they were often connected with the Passover. So it was sung at Passover. It was recited by crowds when Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. 
And so historically, Psalm 118 was the final psalm. Think about it this way. 113, 114, 115. The crescendo is happening as the praise is growing louder and louder as the, um, as the psalm is sung at the Feast of Tabernacles. And this psalm has several themes And so it's hard to narrow it just to one. So there's the theme of community, the theme of thanksgiving, the theme of God's covenant love and victory. So it's hard to classify just one theme. But despite its complexity, we can still appreciate its beauty. So the main point of this sermon is that as a Christ-centered community, as South Shore Baptist Church, we find victory in seeing God's goodness and seeing what he has done in our lives. So, finally, let's get to Psalm 118 as we thank God for his faithful love that is seen from generation to generation. Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let Israel say, his faithful love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his faithful love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his faithful love endures forever. I called to the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and put me in a spacious place. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? The Lord is my helper. Therefore, I will look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. All the nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I destroyed them. They surrounded me like bees. They were extinguished like a fire among thorns. In the name of Of the Lord, I destroyed them. They pushed me hard to make me fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. There are shouts of joy and victory in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. The Lord's right hand is raised. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. I will not die, but I will live and proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord disciplined me severely, but did not give me over to death. Open the gates for righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord, and it is wondrous in our sight. This is, the, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God and has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love 
endures forever. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for your faithful love. It indeed does endure forever. We are tempted to doubt your goodness. We are tempted to go off the path. We are tempted to have our eyes stray from your goodness and your grace. But Lord, fix our eyes upon you. Remind us that you are the one who has given us light. You are the one who is good. And you are the one who uh, teaches us to walk in your ways. You point us to your promises. And your promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us to see Christ in Psalm 118. Help us to rejoice in your goodness. And Lord, help us to praise you as your people. And Father, we thank you and praise you in advance. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, here in Psalm 118, there's a lot going on. There's a lot in these uh, 29 verses. We're not going to go through each and every verse, but I want to just hit some of the highlights, just kind of give us the 30,000-foot view. And so the first 14 verses is a call for personal praise. The worship leader is saying, the Lord is good. Praise the Lord with me. We should give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord with me. So there is a call for personal praise. We see the multifaceted way the psalmist praises the Lord. What does he say? What does the psalmist say? He says, he is good. His faithful love endures forever. The Lord is for me. I do not have to fear. It's implied because the Lord is near. The Lord is my helper. We can find refuge when we trust in the Lord. We could go on and on and on. So he's calling us to praise the Lord together. Did you notice the confidence on display in the worship leader in these opening verses? And where does his confidence lie? It doesn't rest in his own ability. It doesn't rest in humanity, but it rests in the God who saves, in the God who has rescued you and who has rescued me. So Psalm 118 begins with a refrain that is not unique only to this psalm. In fact, I was thinking, I know I've heard this before, many times in the Psalms. Psalm 106, 107, 136, we hear, give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? Good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So this is a repetitious refrain, and it's a reminder of God's involvement. He's not far he hasn't wound things up and then left us to our own devices. He is a personal God. And so we see God's goodness to Israel, God's goodness to the priests. That's why the house of Aaron is referred to. And God's goodness to those who fear the Lord. Friends, we are those who fear the Lord. We are the ones who are in awe of who God is. His goodness, his faithfulness, and his love is ever before our eyes. I talked about personal testimony. I could give you several ways the Lord answered prayers even just yesterday. And so God's faithfulness, his goodness is always before us and before our eyes. It makes me think of what C.S. Lewis had to say about God's goodness and love. C.S. Lewis said, The Christian does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he loves us. Just as Pastor Mike prayed earlier, he first loved us. He loves us, he loves you, 
and you and I can join the personal praise of Psalm 118 by echoing what verse 5 says, I call to the Lord in distress. Who has called to the Lord in their distress? We all could raise our hands. Yesterday, a month ago, a year ago, whenever we had that serious situation, we call to the Lord in our distress. And what does the Lord do? The Lord answered me and put me in a spacious place. And then in verse 6, the worship leader recounts and he says, the Lord is for me. What does this make us think of? Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? So the same thing here. The worship leader reminds us that the Lord is for us, and if the Lord is for us, I will not be afraid. I've got reasons to be afraid. I could list several reasons to be afraid. Fleshly speaking, I should be afraid. I should be cowering. I should be in my closet afraid in terror, but instead I know what? The Lord is for me. He is on my side. Yahweh's on my side. The Lord God is on my side. We have to remind ourselves of this. Remind one another. Remind each other in your community groups each Sunday that the Lord is on your side. If that doesn't put pep in your step and courage for the road ahead, go back and read verses 6 and 7 again. What does it mean that the Lord is for you? It means that his promises are not just for the nations long ago. Don't say, well, that's from the worship leader of Psalm 118. Not just for long ago, but for names in the here and now. Just like we saw in Romans 16. Personal names, individual names, your name, my name. The Lord is on our side. He knows your name. He knows your struggles. He knows your prayers. And what did we find out last week in Psalm 22? And the same thing here in Psalm 118. He answers. The Lord answers. Every answer to your prayers is evidence that the Lord is on your side. In preparing for the sermon, I reached out to several people here at SSBC to hear from them as to how they've seen the Lord's faithful love in their lives. I could go on and on with testimony and testimony, but I'm just going to share about four or five of the responses that I got. And here's, here's two right now, and I'll share a few more later. One man said, The Lord has shown his faithful love to me throughout the years in numerous ways. One of those ways is through him giving me a loving and faithful wife for over 30 years. Her wisdom and her love have built me up and helped me grow stronger in Christ. Another man said, Regarding my testimony, I see God's faithful love. I spent most of my life trying to do it on my own and living in rebellion, but he stayed faithful and kept putting seed planters and waterers in my life until I finally turned to him. He went on to say, as I've prayed, some things have I've prayed for he's worked out like I wanted. Other things I've prayed for didn't turn out the way I wanted, but long term, I wouldn't change the way that they went. God has a plan for me, and it is good. God's answers to our prayers are the right answers. And then one more. A woman here at SSBC shared with me at length about God's faithful love in her life. Um, This woman has been through so much tragedy and so much turmoil, but she continues to persevere and praise God. Hear her words. She says, God is steady and he is faithful, although everyone and everything else around you can change in an instant. 
your job, your spouse, your loved ones, your friends, your comfort zone, any of it can be gone anytime without warning. God never changes. He is all good, all knowing, all powerful, and he keeps his promises. And he wins in the end. So if I've got God who never changes and his presence, grace, and care for me in my life, this is good and the most important thing, he matters above all else. So God is for me and this truth is grounding for me and has present and eternal significance. So as you think about God being for you, think about his presence in your life, his care, But ultimately, as God leads and loves us, it points us to trust in him, not to trust in humanity, not to trust in our own devices or in a system or in a philosophy, but to trust in him. This is what verses 8 and 9 say. Uh, Back to Psalm 118, verse 8 says, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humanity. This is, again, personal experience. He says, I've been there. I've trusted in humanity but it's better to take refuge in the Lord. Then he says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. So even those of the highest value, even those that you might esteem. There's a literary device here in verses eight and nine that might not be readily apparent. There's a contrast between humanity and nobles. So it shows that all of humanity, both lowly and exalted, are not the ones that we are to trust in but in the God who sees us. So in the Lord, there is refuge. So we can run with confidence as we trust him. Just as pilots can trust their planes, or just as commuters trust the train in and out of Boston, we have more reason to trust in the God who guides our lives. So the confidence in resting in God leads to shouts of victory in verse 15. So the first 14 verses is this call for personal praise. Now move with me to the second point is a proclamation rooted in righteousness. Verses 15 through 24. Verse 15 is the answer. What question is it answering for us? This is one of my new ways of studying the Bible thanks to Don Whitney and that that, uh, spiritual disciplines. It's like sometimes there's an answer before us, but you don't know what the question might be. Well, what is the author alluding to in verse 15? Why are the people shouting for joy? They're excited. There is victory. They're looking to the Lord. But why? Well, the worship leader is rejoicing in God's victory in battle. As is often the case when there's a verse in question, just read right before, read right after it, and it'll probably answer for you. And so the author outlines adversity and difficulty in battle. He was surrounded by his enemies. They were like bees that surrounded him on every side. But what does he say? The Lord helped me. The Lord delivered me. Fought on his behalf. Rescued him in the moment of battle. So we don't know the exact battle that he's referring to. But what do we do know? The battle's not what's most important. What we do know is that the Lord intervened on his behalf. So it's in light of this victory, the author sings, the author shouts, and remembers what the Lord has done. This is a common theme, not only in the Psalms, but throughout Scripture. In fact, verse 14 quotes the victory song of Exodus 15. Exodus 15 declares, The Lord is my strength 
and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. So the victory leads the author to proclaim God's deliverance and what the Lord has done. It's like Pastor Cody often says, it's time to do a victory lap. This is what God has done, and we rejoice in it. So you can rejoice when we think of what the Lord has done. But you may think, well, Pastor Steve, not every day is a day of rejoicing. Not every day do I wake up with a smile on my face. So I recognize that you and I may have days where we don't feel like rejoicing. But even in those days, we can relate to the writers of the Psalms. What I love about the Psalms is that they're God's tranquilizers for our hearts. The, the psalmists, they're, they're honest with their affections. They're honest with their bad days. They're honest when they're discouraged and depressed. They're honest when everything seems to be going wrong. So they pour out their hearts, and you and I can pour out our hearts even when things aren't so rosy. So in the good and in the bad, we can turn to the Lord knowing that he has made this day. And not only has he made this day, but he is good. We continually go back to this theme time and again that the Lord is good. I think of a man who had sinned against his family, faced the consequences, and healed as he repented and sought the Lord. Just a couple of days ago, this man gave his testimony to a friend as he took him to an appointment, and he spoke of what the Lord had done with him and how this church has been supporting him and his family as they heal. What did the man do? He spoke of what the Lord has done. The Lord has done much for you. He's done much for me, and he's done much for the worship leader of this psalm. Look with me again in Psalm 118. The worship leader says that he's not defeated in death, but he lives and he sees the path of life and the righteousness that's prepared for him in verses 19 and 20. What does verse 19 says, say? Verse 19 says that the author asked that the gate of righteousness be opened. Then in verse 20, we read, the righteous enter through the Lord's gate. Jesus also spoke about a gate, a gate of salvation in his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. But we know the path to life is through Christ. We know from his sermon and elsewhere, Jesus himself is the narrow gate. And only by being united to him and having his righteousness can we enter heaven. So Jesus Christ is our righteousness and salvation is found through him. So we can triumphantly say, praise God for Christ and his salvation. We can join the chorus of verse 21 that says, I will give thanks to you because you have answered me and have become my salvation. So let me ask you, when is the last time that you thanked God for his involvement in your life? When is the last time you have seen his goodness and said, praise God, even though today may not be rosy? The Lord is near. He answers, 
He rescues us from our rebellion and sin to see the righteousness and salvation connected to Christ. Speaking of Christ, look with me in verse 22. Verse 22 was probably one of those verses that was like, I've heard this before. I've seen this before. In verse 22, we read, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord, and it is wondrous in our sight. So what does this verse have to do with Psalm 118? Again, we don't know the exact experience the psalmist has in mind, but he's using metaphorical language to point out the importance of a keystone in construction. In verse 22, builders reject this cornerstone. They reject this keystone. And it's likely that this metaphorical language likens Israel to a stone and the powers at that time thought very little of Israel's significance. But God had chosen Israel to have a prominent place in his plan. The plan to choose and use Israel comes from the Lord and it may not meet the approval of human rulers but will show God's wonderful design in the end. But what is more wonderful than the significance of God's people here in the Old Testament is the revelation of God's Son, who was also rejected and chosen, but would be leader and central to God's plan. The reason why this verse probably sounded familiar is because Jesus quotes from this in Matthew 21, Mark 12, Luke 20. Peter quotes from Psalm 118 in Acts 4, Paul mentions it in Ephesians 2. It's also quoted in 1 Peter. This might be the most often quoted verse from the Old Testament in the New. So this verse has great, great significance. So why so many quotes from Psalm 118 here in the New Testament? Well, we know Jesus himself was rejected. But he is the capstone, the keystone, the central stone in the foundation that God is building the church. And we know the church is not just for Israel, it's not just for the Jews, but for Jew and Gentile. So this prophetic psalm points us to Jesus who has come. So while some reject him even today, he is still the cornerstone of the church, the ruler over the nations and the redeemer that we need. So Psalm 118 is a psalm where we praise God, we are reminded where our righteousness comes from, and it is a shot of adrenaline for our souls. We think about what God has done, not just in the worship leader, not just in Israel, but for the church, for the nations. And so we know that this is so important because of Christ, and Christ is the one who is central to our faith. But let me take a moment and speak to you this morning if Christ is not your foundation. This is the time of year when we celebrate Christmas. And Christmas is not a day off work, a reason to shop more, or a holiday for baking and decorating, and not even about just time with family. All those things are good. All of those things are important. But it's an opportunity to remember why Christ has come. We have hope because Christ has come. Luke 19.10 tells us that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, has come to seek and save the lost. So if you are lost today, 
You don't have to be. If you see the reality of your sin today, let me encourage you to put your hope in Jesus. You can look to all sorts of things to save you, whether it be your education, your family name, or your own good works. But in the end, you need a Savior who is sent by God and is God in the flesh. I read this quote this past week from Daniel DeWitt. So powerful. It says, If Christmas is true, you're not alone and you don't have to save yourself. Let me repeat that. If Christmas is true, you're not alone and you don't have to save yourself. If Christmas is true, Jesus Christ is light in the darkness. He's the light of the world. He's the light of life. And this is why Simeon rejoices in Luke 2 when he says that Jesus is the light for all people. So let me encourage you to run to Jesus today, to trust in him, to call out to him saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner in need of forgiveness. So you and I can rejoice, as the psalmist does here, that our salvation is from the Lord. We can rejoice together that in the righteousness that's found in Christ, we have hope. But one more point. There's a call for personal praise. There's a a proclamation rooted in righteousness. And then the last section, there's a professing community that sees God's goodness. It's not just the worship leader that says, the Lord is good. It's the community, the community of faith. They come together and they see the Lord has shown us God's goodness. We see a shift in the language. It's It's no longer I, the individual, but it's us. It's we. It moves from individual experience of praise and testimony to a collective community voice. There's urgency in calling out to the Lord, and there is community as they affirm who the Lord God is. We did this as a church family just this past Tuesday at our members' meeting. So we read our church covenant. We said, This is who we are as God's people. And so we've come together. So there's a declaration as they affirm who the Lord God is. And the leader seems to be leading them in worship, and there's a response. So I think there's a slide up here that kind of shows this breakdown. First, the leader says in verse 26, He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. Then the worshiping community responds, From the house of the Lord we bless you. Then the next section, verse 27, the Lord is God and has given us light. You can almost hear them nodding their heads. Yes, he is. And they say, bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Now that's one you may say, um, I've got a question there. And that's not what I typically say in my prayer on Tuesdays. So before you gloss over verse 27, Old Testament sacrifices are surely in mind, but as New Testament believers, we bring ourselves as living sacrifices in worship because we are bound to Christ, who is both the altar and the sacrifice. So we come with thanksgiving and praise as we give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. And then the, the, the third couplet, the leader says, you are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God and I will exalt you. How does the community respond? 
Let's respond together with the, the, the last one there. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. We could go on and on. Again, I could hear testimony after testimony as we talk about God's faithful love. We worship God together because God is good. His goodness is seen through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. And through this man, we rejoice in God's faithful love that endures forever. As I close, I want to just share one more testimony from the people that I reached out to. This is from another woman here at SSBC. She says, When I look back at only 40 years of life so far, I see his faithful love in many, many ways. His faithful love endured when, while I was lost in sin, he rescued me and brought me into his family. His faithful love endured when I said goodbye to my mother just three weeks after my son was born. His faithful love endured when I went through years of debilitating fear and anxiety. His faithful love endured through every illness and injury my kids went through. His faithful love endured when hard times have come in my marriage. His faithful love endured when we struggled financially. His faithful love doesn't only endure during heartache, it endures during times of joy too. I'm reminded of his faithful love when I look around at all he has blessed me with. He has given me family and friends. He has given me a church family, brothers and sisters in Christ. He has given me faith, hope, and salvation in my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the most important thing in my life because life changes. People change. Circumstances change. Health changes. But I'm reminded that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. God's faithful love endures forever. His love never changes. It is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. All praise honor, and glory to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. We thank you that you are the God who answers us in our distress. So in all that we do, we see your goodness to us and we give you praise. Lord, we thank you as your people. We rejoice in what you have done. We thank you that we no longer are in the pit of despair, that we are lost in darkness, but we have seen a great light, a light for all people has come, and that is Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you. Lord, we rejoice in knowing you. And Holy Spirit, would you lead us to see Christ more and more in our lives? There's moments of doubt. There's moments of darkness. There's moments of discouragement. But Holy Spirit, would you point us to Christ would you comfort us as only you can and remind us that you are near. You are near to us today. So Lord, we say that the Lord God is for me because indeed you are for us because we are in Christ. Lord, we thank you for this truth and we rejoice as your people. Lord, would you make us more like Christ? And Lord, I just pray if there's someone here today who does not know Christ, who has not trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, Lord, I pray that they will come to you and that they will cling to your son, Jesus Christ, as their only hope. I ask all this in his name. Amen.